Welcome back to the Magic of the Spheres podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. If this is your first time here, I'm so excited to have you. I'm an evolutionary astrologer who writes weekly forecasts and teaches at monarchastrology.com. And I started this podcast to have more eclectic conversations about the things that fascinate me and that I know are really powerful and life transforming ideas that have to do with astrology. Oftentimes, certainly I can connect anything to astrology because astrology is an archetypal language that describes basically anything. The archetypes are everywhere. But there's so much that can be discussed and talked about without that filter. And definitely when it comes to the platform that I've created with talking about astrology, it's very astrology specific, but to get on here and to record episodes about anything in the umbrella of spiritual lifestyle and personal development has been really fun. And I'm just on here to signal boost ideas that are life-changing, healing, empowering, and so on. And I'm coming to you today back in the States after a month spent in Ubud, Bali. If you caught some of the episodes just before this, I talked about how inspired I was by travel to keep traveling. One, because I can. My work is completely online. But two, because it calls me, like it fascinates me. And I was meeting people that were really interesting and inspiring to me. They were people who had followed their curiosity or their passions across the world. And that fire, that energy of pursuing destiny was lighting me up and making me realize like, oh yeah, like this is for me too. One such person that I met is Trevor Kemplin, who is the person that I'm interviewing in this podcast today. And we connected about our shared interest in astrology. And Trevor does some really interesting work. And I wanted to know more about his path and know more about what he does. And to share some insights with this podcast. Trevor is studied and trained in Ayurveda He traveled to Kerala, India to study there and then opened up a private practice in the States. He also has gotten into a modality of heart chakra opening that relates to releasing stuck or painful energy that is stored in the body around the chest cavity, on the sternum or on the ribs, for example, um, where trauma or just stuckness around the heart is stored and that by actually working with the physical body, the energetics of the heart can be opened, which totally makes sense. I mean, there's yoga postures that are heart opening, right? Um, But I think this was actually the first time that I'd heard someone talk about kind of using myofascial release or working with body work to specifically open the heart. Before we recorded this podcast and we were kind of brainstorming what we were going to talk about, Trevor mentioned that the themes that really come up for him when talking about these subjects is like a Leo Scorpio combination. And that makes a lot of sense because he's working with the heart, Leo, and also working with power and helping people experience their power and to move into a state of being able to manifest, to be a creator, which is an empowerment, right? You know what it's like to have a dream or something you want to create that's a work of art. For example, a creative project and you discover how to bring it into fruition. 
Well, manifestation is like doing that, but for your life, knowing what kind of life you'd like to have and learning how to play with the energetics of reality itself as the artistic medium to create a certain kind of life. And so we got into some really interesting philosophical and metaphysical ideas around this too, about what is the nature of reality such that we can be creators? What ways might we get stuck in the Maya or the real of memories and histories such that we forget our intrinsic power to create in the now? Interesting, subtle things to play with and to experience. I also want to give a shout out to my friend, Alex Skiles, who helped mix the audio. We recorded this in a beautiful place in Bali and there was some wind and stuff. So my friend Alex helped make the audio in this podcast so much better. So thank you for that, Alex. And without further ado, let's get into this conversation with Trevor Kamplin of Unlock All Power. Welcome, everyone. I'm here with Trevor Kamplin in this amazing tower of sorts in Ubud. Um, Around us, we have a panorama of palm trees and greenery, the wind coming in through the windows here in beautiful Bali. And I'm really excited to introduce Trevor to you. He does some really interesting work with the heart chakra that is both energetic and related to the physical body. And I think that I will let you introduce yourself more thoroughly, Trevor. Welcome. Can you tell us a bit about who you are, what you do, and how you got to this point? Yes. First, thanks for having me. I really like the show. Um, how did I get here to Bali through a long, interesting series of events? I made my way out here a little more than a year ago. And prior to that, uh, life had taken me to Kerala and it was in Kerala in the South of India where I got into the work that I do now. And that's where I developed the interest for it. It was all through uh, firsthand experience out there. What brought you to India? Uh, it was some research that I'd been doing. I had developed an interest in Vedic cosmology and cosmogony. And I was looking at uh, different conceptions of the ancient world and the ancient universe itself. So I was finding some fascinating parallels between uh, Vedic information and uh, also even Babylonian uh, views of the the universe, uh, Norse depictions of the universe, the list goes on. Um, But I felt like the information and the knowledge that I was gaining out of Vedic literature was really speaking to me uh, the strongest. And what I was finding out about uh, diets and uh, making some significant dietary changes in my life, it was all coming from the Vedic knowledge. And uh, the Upanishads, Rig Veda, books like this, Bhagavad Gita were really speaking to me at the time. And my best friend, uh, he was doing work in Rajasthan with tapestries 
and uh, he was in the city of Jodhpur, the blue city. So I left Los Angeles and I went out to meet with him there and our journey in India began. So that's really cool. And you grew up or were born pretty close to where I was born. And so you felt a call to leave that culture and go somewhere else. Do you feel like there was something about the mainstream culture around you that propelled you to seek for something more? Yes. Yeah, so living in the States, um, I kind of had this big awakening experience happen at the age of 25. So this was nine years ago. And at the time... Yeah, tell us about it. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty wild. And it actually sounds quite similar to your story that I heard the other day we were talking about. Um, I had started to look at life in a completely different way. I was first, uh, that was when I was first learning about alchemy and what you could do with the body and, uh, starting to make some dietary changes around that time. So I started eating nothing but local organic apples for a week and uh, what else did I do? I stopped smoking cigarettes. I stopped smoking weed. I quit my job. I left a relationship and I went on tour with uh, an indie rock legend band, uh, Built a Spill, who's from the town I was living in in Boise, Idaho. And so all of these events uh, kind of cascaded into one moment when I left town. And that's when things started to kind of look like Alice in Wonderland <laughs> in my own life. Uh, very Neptunian themes, very uh, maritime themes as well. And it was a trip to say the least, but I was starting to unlock the subconscious for the first time. And it was beautiful and extremely scary all at once. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I definitely can relate. And it sounds like the eating only apples and making a bunch of changes at once would be enough to kind of destabilize the ordinary buffered ego and open you up to something else. Yeah, I, I jumped through a Stargate, I'm pretty sure, at one point. Like what I, do you I, mean? Like I tore a curtain in, in space-time or something. Uh, something shifted. I don't know what was going on in the sky at that time. I could probably look back to some of those dates and, and peek in. But uh, this had to have been something with Uranus, I'm thinking. It, it sounded Uranian. <laughs> yeah. And it also sounded, um, I know like the Jupiter return is at 24. Mm. So it was shortly after that. And Jupiter would have been, because you have the Jupiter-Mars conjunction. I hope that's okay to say. Mm -hmm. Oh, totally. Yeah, share <laughs> uh, away. Yeah, so Jupiter-Mars conjunction. So you would have had Jupiter conjunct your Mars as well. And I feel like that is a lot about like going hard and overdoing things and like seeking and having a lot of energy towards that. And so it's like pushing on the gas pedal really hard. So if you're making all these big adjustments or changes all at once, it's a little bit destabilizing. It was very destabilizing. I ended up uh, running into my ex. She came and found me and she said, okay, we're going to go on a little adventure down the coast. And I thought, oh, goody, <laughs> let's do it. So I left, uh, I left the tour with the guys and uh, we cruised down one of my most favorite places in the world. That's the Southern Oregon coast. 
and into the Northern California coast. There's a little area right there, Myers Creek Beach, kind of a little banana belt of Southern Oregon that is very magical. And I would suggest that anybody who gets the chance to look into that place, go check it out at some point in your life. It's absolutely beautiful and very magical things can happen there. Eventually we got down to, to Berkeley and and I left the house we were staying at and I ended up in People's Park. That's the name of the park there. And I decided, okay, I'm just going to sleep in the park for the night and see what happens. And at that point, I was at that point, I was waiting for the UFOs to show up or the hidden cameras to show up because things started to look more like an absurdist novel. And uh, the next morning I woke up and there were some some guys from a basketball team from a local university there. One of them, one of them uh, handed me 10 bucks and said, Hey man, get out of here. So I knew <laughs> that was probably the time to, uh, to take off. So I borrowed somebody's phone on Telegraph Hill, called my girlfriend and then, uh, and I flew back to Boise. All right. I was almost expecting, um, like asylum people or like someone like pulling you out of the park in a more, like 12th housey kind of way. I don't know what that says about my own projections. I'm glad it was just a basketball team and $10. Yeah. That's all it took. Yeah. Yeah. So this is really interesting that like life starting to look like an absurdist novel. Did that shift for you eventually? Like, cause I feel like there's something about the awakening process that can be a rocky transition where the life that you've been living before starts to look very strange um, or even like a passage into the underworld. Like one of the authors on the underworld that I really like, Bill Plotkin, will talk about things getting distorted and looking really weird as you like plunge into the underworld. And then in the underworld, you find your gifts and you come back up to the surface, basically in the narrative. Um, so yeah, I just get the sense from you intuitively that you don't still feel like you live in an absurdist novel. And I'm curious, I guess, did this have something to do with working with the heart chakra and the work that you do now in terms of finding healing and integration from this experience? Actually, yes, that's exactly what happened because leading up to uh, actually digging in to that area of the body, um, it was pretty absurd. It was funny. It was quaint and the synchronicities were strong. However, there was still a lot of, uh, a lot of pent up pain being stored in the body um, that I knew it was there. I just didn't know how, I didn't know how to let it loose exactly until I went to Kerala. But the times leading up to, uh, to the point of where I left town and that big significant change happens, um, the underworld thing did happen in a really, really big noticeable way for about, Two months, especially, I think a good, yeah, a good eight weeks it was going on. Um, it was almost as though I was seeing different versions of my friends and, and people in my life. Like on Monday, I would see the, uh, the darker, more unhealthy, zombie-like rendition of one of my pals. Then the next morning, I'd see them and their complexions would look different. Their demeanor was different. And, uh, you know, at this point, some people might, might conclude, well, he's, he's gone off into 
schizophrenia at this point. But to me, it was it was something quite deeper than that happening at a conscious level. And it started to make me wonder about some of the things that had happened with people like Philip K. Dick in his life of uh, seeing science fiction types of things playing out in the manifested world like this. I wonder about even like the third eye and having visions about people that are very, you know, visible in form. I mean, I've experienced that too, but I know that there's been times in my life, especially during that awakening experience where they were more grotesque or kind of disturbing, whereas now they're gentle and more integrated, Mm -hmm. but you may have been picking up on something. Absolutely. Looking back in hindsight, um, you nailed it. That's exactly what happened. My third eye opened up really, really big. And my heart was shut. It was stuck. It's like there was a lock on it. And I didn't completely understand it. at the time. I felt a lot of painful sensation going on in my chest center. And it could have been due to the fact that I had quit some... Uh, some unhealthy habits around that time. And I was recovering from that, especially in the lungs. But, but my third eye was super open. I was seeing things and sensing things, being able to connect to things that weren't there before that. And later on, uh, listening to an uh, old recorded presentation from Alan Watts, he goes into this and suggests that if you're going to do work with the chakras, open the heart chakra first before the third eye chakra. Otherwise, things could get extremely chaotic and entropic in one's life. And I went, okay, that's what happened. That's exactly what happened. That gives me a lot of insight, too, because I think I probably have that same issue. Different openings and like upper chakra openings, but some closure around the heart. So what happened in Kerala? So in Kerala, see, prior to that, I'd been up in Rajasthan. And I had taken care of an interview that I wanted to do with uh, the high priest of the Jains, and who's, who's kind of an authority on alternative cosmology up in a temple there, the biggest Jain temple in India. And... Uh, then I went to Karnataka and Tamil Nadu, and eventually my friend and I made it to Kovalam, like down in the southern tip of southern India. And in Kovalam, he got some news. He had to leave and go back to the States, um, kind of an emergency fashion. So it left me there traveling alone. And so I thought, okay. At that point, I was pretty tuned in with the flow of life and and realized that this was all part of some kind of transformative process, maybe. And so I decided that I would go up north to Varkala, where they have these big, tall cliffs next to the beach. It's a really beautiful spot there in Kerala. And it's, uh, it's pretty touristy. Touristy, I'll give it that. But um, but that's fine. I'm used to that. I used to be in hospitality for a long time, so it felt kind of familiar to have the tourism culture around and all of the uh, all the resorts and and uh, guest houses and massage therapy culture going on there. So what happened there was I was staying at a resort 
And the owner of the resort said, I want you to come with me tomorrow morning to Trivandrum, which is one way to say that the capital city of that area is Tiruvantarapuram in Malayalam, which is a, probably one of the more difficult languages I've discovered in this world. And he said, I want you to come along. And my friend from Russia is also here. She's going to come along. I want you guys to meet. And we're going to go to this Ayurvedic Institute in Trivandrum. And I said, okay, I was just taking it as a sign. And intuitively, I felt like it was the right thing to do. So I cruised with them early the next morning to Trivandrum. And I went and met with some Ayurvedic doctors there in uh, in this place right up next to this famous temple in Trivandrum where they once found like $10 billion of gold, I think, within the last few years, the last 10 years or something. And I think this gold came from Rome. I don't know. The energy in that area was really, really powerful. And the Ayurvedic Institute was right next to it, I remember. And so that was kind of the initial step towards getting into Ayurveda. And then eventually one of the guys working with that uh, with that property, he had another property he was trying to rent out. It was a guest house. And he took me over there and he said, hey, why don't you just rent out this guest house for the time that you're going to be spending here and uh, you can rent it out to other people coming in, other travelers from Europe or whatever. And, and I thought, okay, uh, this will be funny. And it was, it was very much like a sitcom from the first day I signed the papers and everything, but I got this eight bedroom guest house next to a Kali temple, which, uh, Turned out to be a pretty interesting four months living next to a a Kali temple. But in that local community in Varkala, they had all these different Ayurvedic practitioners. So you had all these different types of massage therapists and people working with this ancient form of medicine and healing. Ayurveda meaning the science of life. And... I just felt led to get into it myself. I kind of took it all as a sign that this is something uh, that I'm meant to get into. And so I went ahead and immersed myself into the culture. And then you found someone that taught you the modality of body work that you use now. Was that in Kerala too? That was in Kerala. After a few Panchakarma massages, which are which are very easy on the body. It involves a lot of fast rubbing on the topical layer and a lot of oil, an absurd amount of oil. It's ridiculous, but it's great. Um, you just get bathed in oil and uh, you come out of it feeling really, really nice. However, I did need something uh, a little more intensive in certain areas of my body. I needed, I needed some deeper care with some of my tissue and I knew this. So I found a guy, an Indian guy there in Varkala who had, uh, he was practicing shiatsu style massage. And I, I had heard of shiatsu before. I'd never done a shiatsu massage um, other than like when you're sitting at the airport, one of those massage chairs and you have the shiatsu button and it's a little more intense than the other settings. I thought, okay, well, here goes nothing. This might be good. And so I scheduled that appointment. I went in later that day 
And this guy just got right into it. And, and very quickly, I knew that this is what I needed. Like I needed some deep healing in some areas of my body because I had some soreness going on. I could tell it was from stress uh, that needed to be taken care of. But towards the end of that session, he found some places in my lower rib cage where the pain was just excruciating. And I asked him, I said, do you usually go this hard on people? And he said, yeah, I usually go this hard on people. And what I realized was that I had some extremely tender areas around my rib cage and chest cavity that needed some work. So I asked him to stop because it was way too much for me. I chickened out, but I asked him, I said, can I, can I do this on my own time? Can I kind of work my way up to being able to handle this amount of pain on my own? And he said, yeah, that's a good idea. You can do that on your own. And it was right then and there where I realized that I needed to take care of some things on my body and that it was directly related to some emotional traumas that had uh, compounded over the years, probably from a very, very young age even. Okay. This is amazing to point out how sometimes to get better, to move through something, there's a layer of pain to get through. And I think that that is often why it accumulates at such a degree too, is that it hurts to look at certain things and there's ways to do things gently in life, but there's also like when it comes to body work, like you can kind of like really get like tough and like knead through certain things and it hurts, but then you feel so much better afterwards, which is an interesting kind of metaphor for a process. But, um, I'm curious to hear what happened in your life, what happened to your emotional body as you started to release some of these points around your heart and ribs. This is where we'll probably start to get into the Leo archetype and the Scorpionic archetype as well. This is, I think, I think where they, where they merge in my story for sure. Um, So in my chart, my son's Libra, but my rising and my moon are Leo and looking at my own behavior, like kind of using my own self as a lab rat with all of this, I can look back into the childhood and, and yeah, I was a little performer in some ways and then a little bit introverted sometimes too. It's like this, this interesting dance between Leo and Scorpio throughout my life. Uh, I got into rock bands. And in, it's Saturn and Scorpio. Oh, there's Saturn and Scorpio, Venus and Scorpio. South Node. South Node. Um, Mercury and Scorpio and Pluto and Scorpio. With a lot of other people. A lot of other people have Pluto and Scorpio. Pluto and Scorpio represent. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, a good, it's a good group. What, 12 years? Something like that. I thought 11, but double digits i know that but it's one of the shortest i think pluto is in taurus the longest and in scorpio the shortest mm. due to the elliptical orbit that makes sense yep because yeah my friend i was traveling india with his pluto was in libra and he was born just about five months before i was so that's right where it crossed over yeah, was the you're beginning. At the start i love our generation we're such magicians and like I just got this strange image, too, of like a bunch of souls being really excited to be born during the Pluto and Scorpio time because it's a pretty short window in general when it comes to Pluto. But there's a given number of people on the planet or something. And I just feel like our generation, we're very 
we're like occultists and we want to get to the bottom of things and we see through things that like reality has been kind of the social reality has been accepting for generations and yeah i'm into it yeah the whole blind faith thing for me never quite satisfied me and what did satisfy me was getting answers for all the questions that I had. If I had any question left, it would haunt me and it would haunt me when I would go to sleep at night. I'd be wondering about this stuff. I couldn't help it. It's just that that maybe you could call it a Sam scar. Maybe it was a, you know, a, a, a vibration prior to the archetype, if you will, but it was there and I just wouldn't feel satisfied until the questions got answered. Now I feel like all the questions I've had have, basically been answered interesting it feels very mercury pluto too to like have to know things yeah so um back to what we were saying about this opening process and how does it connect back to leo and scorpio so leo on the adam cadmon the universal body or the zodiacal body um and that's what we use in Kabbalah and other mystery school traditions. Maybe I'll just go from the, from the bottom up, from the feet up. So Pisces, the two fishies of the feet. Then next up, Aquarius at the shins. Capricorn at the knee caps. Sagittarius, of course, is going to get the thighs. And I always like to tell Sag, get off your high horse. Uh, and the butt a little bit, the backside with Sag. Uh, next up, you're going to have Scorpio at the reproductive area, uh, root chakra area. Um, and then above that Libra above the genitals, above the sacral at, uh, liver, 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 kidneys, kidneys also liver and kidneys. And yeah, the kidneys kind of look like scales. If you, if you uh, look at a cadaver, uh, Virgo is going to have the womb, of course, the gut too, and the gut, yeah, yeah. It's my mo- my mother's Virgo son, and her gut her gut feelings are usually very strong. My mom's a Virgo too, and really? she always taught me when I was younger to trust my gut. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah, my mother has been on the uh, on the path of healing the gut. She's she's vested a lot of interest uh, into that topic, so I'm not I'm not surprised. And then prior to Virgo. You got Leo at the solar plexus, the sun, um, and or and also kind of right above. Just that general heart area is going to be kind of ruled by Leo. And the place on the body that I'm referring to exactly is right above. Um, there's an indentation that happens right above your abdominal muscles, and there's a little flap of cartilage that hangs down. It's called the xiphoid process. And if you get out your anatomy book, you can check out where the xiphoid process is. If you go directly up above the xiphoid process, where the ribs kind of curve around, um, there's an indentation right there. And I would say, like, on my body, that's where Leo really seems to register that Leo energy. It's right in the center of the core area. And so when I was with Mr. Shiatsu Man in Kerala, um, this is a spot that he had touched on my body. And... Later on, I started to poke around on my body and push into that area. And I noticed pain uh, 
kind of flowing through my rib cage and even around my back. And I went, okay, what is that soreness? Is that always going to be there? Or is that something that's developed over time? And so that was kind of confronting the Leo area of the body. And then Scorpio I kind of- I hear Saturn too. You hear some Saturn? Like accumulated stuff over time. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, Kronos coming in to uh, eat some babies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then- and then, yeah, Scorpio started creeping and say, hey, man, I can help you out with that. I can help you remove that. You know, Scorpio is all about transformation. And oftentimes I think we forget that another powerful archetype attributed to Scorpionic energy is the phoenix rising from the ashes. So that I don't energy. forget that. Huh? I don't forget that. You don't forget Who that. Who forgets that? Somebody did. I mean, <laughs> I, I forgot once. Okay. But it, but yeah, it's totally true. It's all about that transformative power, thus getting down to, to the deepest parts of things. So what happened after you started to release that? Because that was like a personal embodied experience. But as we know with Scorpio and other, I'm sure, like mystery teachings as within, so without. So things started to change. And what was that? Yeah, so... I went back to the States and I didn't really know what to do for employment after that, since I had been living such a free flowing life in India and just letting things sort of unfold and happen. Um, and then I did read, I am that by, uh, Nisargadatta Maharaj, who's, uh, one of my favorite gurus, uh, to study his brand of yoga is Atma yoga or consciousness yoga. And we could probably get into some of that stuff later and see how it relates to the Zodiac too. But I flew back from Kerala. I stayed about three weeks in Los Angeles because I wasn't ready to go back to where my parents were in Idaho quite yet. So I kicked in LA for a little bit. I finished that book and things were already changing pretty, pretty dramatically after just leaving India. And uh, I'd been feeling a lot of emotional release happening during this time coming from within. Uh, and then, and then, yeah, it's been a little time in Sri Lanka before I left as well. And there were some really powerful things that happened in Sri Lanka, like a surf accident that happened that kind of spoke to me and, and uh, feeling like I was finding family all around the world, no matter where I went. It was very, it's very powerful feeling to feel loved by strangers and, taxi drivers and, and just people, random people you're meeting around the world like this. Um, so after Los Angeles, I went back to, to Boise where my parents live and I thought, okay, I need to get some kind of employment, I guess right now. I have no idea what to do. My friend who had, um, who had been traveling with me in India, he'd gotten back and his, his brother had gotten a, a TV show set up with, uh, with a, one of the most popular uh, TV networks, I guess, on cable television. Uh, I won't mention which one it is, but they do a lot of fixer-upper shows, <laughs> like house-flipping shows. And at that time, there was so much ag aggression pent up that I was realizing I needed to get this out. So he asked me to be on the show, uh, to be on the team who was going to be... Uh, taking down houses, like destroying houses. And I think this is where Pluto really came in 
in a big way. And, uh, and I needed that. I needed that for three or four months. Of, I hear Saturn and Scorpio square moon too. You do hear that? <laughs> <laughs> like a home demolition. I was on a home demolition show, basically. It was like, is the whole process of... And even the Leo, like you're on a show, like... Yeah. It's too much. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I'm telling you, it's like an absurdist novel. It's pretty cartoony, my well, life. Well, when we, yeah, compare transits to how they manifest, because sometimes they manifest energetically, you know, there's all these different ones, but when they manifest very literally, it's just funny, you know? Like, you can't make this stuff up. No, you can't make this stuff up. That's something that, that uh, that's a phrase that comes into my mind all the time. I can't make this stuff up. It's just happening. And uh, I think I'm just projecting uh, my memories into this world. I'm using my memories as fuel for my projections. Okay, that's trippy. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> so it's like my memories are the cannon fodder that I'm using to, uh, that I'm pu- extracting from my subconscious mind to create similar situations into this world. Like bits and pieces of my memories will re manifest into people, places, and events. That sounds like karma and the moon. Yeah, totally. So um, you had these emotional releases and like uh, pent up aggression and like, what's next? I was just going with it. I had, I've been uh, doing my best to just drop any desires that I'd had, including the desire to not have desires, (laughs) which is the backside to all of it. The, the At least you could see that because I mean, that's, that's Mercury and Scorpio and Mercury Pluto right there too. Mm-hmm. Like, cause if you are so desirous of not having desire, but you can't see that that's also a desire, then I mean, that's just kind of maddening, you know? And I feel like that a lot with um, being on the spiritual path. Like if you have a, an energetic that you're working through, like you don't want to be harsh and self judgmental anymore. You want to like improve yourself. If you're like beating yourself up because you're not good enough at your self improvement project, um, or your project to have better self esteem, you're like punishing yourself. Like that is a paradox of the subconscious playing itself out. So I feel like the more that we become self aware of like these layers upon layers upon layers that we're playing out certain things, we can actually kind of, uncover the root and shift it um, instead of playing in the kind of illusions of our own making. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. And when it comes to the topic of the self during this time, the objective was to uncover what the self is because there seems to be a lot of controversy around this topic. What is the self? What is that self? which we're referring to with our mouths and our languages when we talk about it. And after reading I Am That and spending countless hours listening to one of my favorite works of literature, uh, Lao Tzu's Tao Te Ching, uh, I think it's the Stephen Mitchell translation of that one. Yeah, it's a good one. I really like that one. It goes back and forth from female to male throughout the whole thing. So it really, really spoke to me. But but getting uh, really deep into that, there was a, you know, there's one point where it says, see the world as yourself. And seeing the world as myself allowed me to realize that my true identity, according to Lao Tzu, is uh, not 
confined to the image of a mere body. So it meant that I'm not a noun, I'm not a person, place, a thing, or an idea. So then it led the, the mind to ask, okay, what or who am I then if, if I'm formless, boundless, impenetrable, if I was never born, if I will never die? What is that? And what I started to realize is that what that is, is all that's left after everything that it's not has dropped. So all conceptual knowledge had to get dropped by my mind in order for that, uh, any image that I had stored in there uh, to dissolve and go away. And then I was able to start to see uh, things clearly and feel things clearly again. And that was a really remarkable time. Coincidentally enough, working on that job inside of a house one day, demolishing things with the camera crew running around and whatever. Uh, I'd been working with a friend named Theodore, but Theodore's name, his nickname is Teo, but it's spelled T-A-O. One day, Teo was up on a ladder and he was using a a jigsaw to cut this board off of something. And I was under him sweeping something out from underneath the ladder and an image flashed into my mind of something hitting me on the head. And then within about two seconds, I felt a very powerful thump on the top of my crown and Teo or the towel dropped a huge board uh, onto my head, uh, vertical speaking so the the very point of this piece of wood hit my crown chakra and cut it open and i was bleeding all over the place like being anointed with blood if you will whoa and i didn't really freak out or panic i because the mars and capricorn kind of kicked in like <laughs> the, the old war general kicks in right it's like yeah. okay so the towel the, the yeah the towel just dropped something on your head and now you have to go to the hospital and get your head stapled shut and then uh then the next day i went in and talked to the crew boss and said okay i think my time here is done i think i'm supposed to use my uh, certification as an ayurvedic healer to start a practice now <laughs> so that's what i did and within a week within a week i had a room at my house set up dedicated to all of that Wow. I appreciate your symbolic thinking, you know, like to be able to see life as a dream or to see these um, images and see them as symbols of the self, even if they're not happening internally, but it's something from your environment. I feel like that's part of living spiritually. And it's, it's a tricky one because it relates to being delusional as well, or we can kind of go on like a wild goose chase, like following signs. So that does bring it back to the heart in a sense, because if you're connected with yourself um, and even like root chakra stuff, like you're grounded, but if you're in your heart, it's easier, I think, to go with the symbols. And so you took that experience as a sign that you need to follow your purpose and yeah, that you were done with that. Absolutely. And it's so Scorpio moon too. Um, I mean, Scorpio, Saturn, square moon, just like that. I feel that image again of just, um, the Saturn and the moon isn't exactly a gentle thing for the moon. No. And at a square, especially not. Definitely not. But I think that another way that it plays out is that 
the willingness, um, the endurance, the what's the word I'm looking for? The grit to go inward and experience difficult things for a better cause, like sacrificing temporary comfort for something that is worth more than that. I could liken it to Buddhist paths I've read about seeing that seeing that everything's impermanent and it was around that time when I was really starting to see that everything no matter how preferable or non-preferable the situation is it's still impermanent there's no way that it can continue to last unless you have a strong desire or a really strong belief that it has to last like that for a long time but everybody has a breaking point I think and eventually you can you know you can say uncle (laughs) and life will stop uh twisting or you will stop twisting your arm behind your back you know once you realize that you've been doing it to yourself the whole time interesting yeah my like third eye is buzzing but i've lost my train of thought So then in your client practice and working with people, what do you feel is the the kind of work that you're sharing with people? Do you have like a kind of consistent type of client or people that come to you or is it more of a variety? Like who do you feel like you're working with? I have had a variety of people who have approached me, but most people have uh, some experience with a yogic practice in their lives with uh the asanas or uh, vinyasa, hatha, something like this, or with meditation. Uh, some people have approached me who have been uh, trying to get through addictions, like heavy addictions, and I'm not an addiction specialist. This is something that, that my father would specialize in much more. He's a, he's a psychotherapist. Um, and I've had addictions before, but that's not, that's not the best type of person to come work with me. The people that best work with me have already encountered some kind of disciplinary work in their lives and they're ready to kick that up a notch and take it to the next level. Mars and Capricorn. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So what I like to do first is after a chart analysis, of course, um, we're going to call in Ganesh and remove the obstacles and the obstacles I found in my life. And that I continue to find in the lives of clients and, uh, and patients that I would have come in and work with me uh, firsthand when I had my practice set up in the States was that they all had blocked heart chakras. They all had a significant amount of pain going on in their chest region where this was distorting what they were intending to create in life. I found this within myself. And then once you spot it within yourself, it's very easy to detect in the members of your family, your close friends, uh, colleagues, people who you kind of know pretty well. You can see your pain within them once you've extracted all of your pain. And uh, once you get over that harsh realization, then you realize, okay, I can, I can help these people out if they would like that. Like if, if someone wants to, wants to come to me and work with me and uh, learn how to usher this out of their bodies and get it out of their lives removing all the obstacles, then we can bow to Ganesh and say, thank you, Ganesh, for your service. Uh, And, you know, now we're going to call in 
as somebody else. Maybe maybe Shiva or Lakshmi, if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Incredible. Why is it that you think that doing this kind of physical work around the heart area has an energetic effect as well? What I found is that much of the soreness and the pain that was going on inside of my body, uh, I didn't feel like I was carrying it with me every single day until I actually located it. And then once I located it, and really dug deep into it and past those initial layers uh, that I got to the core. And then I had a big epiphany. Oh my God, I have a ton of stored blockage in my body that I didn't even know about, uh, that I had no clue about. It was so deep. Then the relief, what it comes down to is the relief and the alleviation that I felt on a nervous system level was... uh, unlike anything I'd ever experienced. I was able to take in more oxygen into my lungs for one. Um, Along with that capability came a deeper sense of confidence, compassion, uh, self-love, love love for people in my family, love for anybody in my life, love for strangers that I was meeting. And it was happening on a way that I had never experienced before until I started doing this work. That's really cool. And do you feel like it is imperative or like extremely necessary for people to open their heart chakra? Like, do you feel like we can afford to have it closed? At this point, I would say um, it's all going to play out the way that it plays out. And I'm, I'm cool and confident that that's the case. I trust the cosmic current that's, uh, you know, setting the tone for the current age and all of that. However, For myself, for my body-mind, to yoke with this cosmic current and to dance with it uh, to the best of my ability and knowledge, I would say that for people who who want to unlock their power, truly, it's imperative. And I say it's imperative because how you're creating and manifesting your life, which you've always been doing and which you're continuing to do at this very second, it's happening on a level of feeling. And by feeling, I'm talking about nervous system sensations. So that nervous system has to be working hand in hand with the fluids traveling throughout your body. So if you remove the blockages, those spirits or those fluids are going to be talking to each other in a very healthy way. The blood flow, blood flow is going to be getting into the places that it needs to be getting to. And you're going to have access to all the utilities that you could ever want to create what you're looking to create or to discover even more than you ever thought that you could actually create in this world. I really appreciate what I'm hearing about kind of unlocking our own capacity to be creators here and waking up from the dream that things just happen to us and that we're not like, we're just passively receiving things in life. And there's a lot of ways that we do create the things that we're experiencing. And it's even in some settings that can be controversial to say, or it can inspire anger in people. And I don't think that information should be used to leverage justifying people's bad circumstances or abuse or any of that kind of thing. But I I feel like when the person I was trying to say if the student is ready, but I don't know what the the label would be. But when someone is ready to really 
unlock their power and take agency in their life and create something intentionally, there's a lot of process around becoming aware of how we're subconsciously operating. And then as we do that, there's this one quote, um, I'm not going to get it exactly, but it's something about moving through the floorboards of the basement or something and opening up to the starry firmament. So as we kind of dig deep into the subconscious, we actually fan out past the veil and into the cosmos because we are the universe. And so as we become more self-aware, we become aware of how we're participating spiritually. Um, So I feel like from what you've shared and just kind of how you navigate reality that you are playing with like how to dance with creation in a more aware way and kind of letting go of some of the illusions or the veils um, that were holding you back before. Right. It's a really like, how do you feel when you unlock things? Like before I felt like it took two to tango. And then now it's like, it doesn't take two to tango. What do you mean? Well, it only takes one to tango. There's, there's no integration that needs to happen because you're already integrated. Meaning that reality itself is like one solid block. There's, there's no similarities. There's no differences at that point. And to me, that's what yoking with Brahman or union or yoga is really all about. It's realizing that you never left and that nothing was ever abstract to where we often see the imagery of like the, the Vesca Pisces, for example. But in this case, the Vesca Pisces merges into one particular configuration. And so from that perspective, it's seen that consciousness itself is undifferentiated. And that realization right there is remarkably powerful. And to me, it took, it took a heart that was uh, a heart that got purified in a way. By purified, I mean the heaviness left. The emptiness in the chest was felt and found. A heart light as a feather. It's like the Mayan ritual or something, you know, weighing the heart to the feather. It's symbolic of not having any guilt or shame or transgression going on within you that you believe in any longer. You've let it all go. Forgiveness has happened. And you see that all of this is you. This is, uh, this is your creation, this entire universe. Do you think there's any cognitive shifts that you could advise anyone listening to lighten their hearts? From a mental perspective, a time of a heart chakra opening could be very chaotic. So you need to stay grounded and it's great to have someone in your life to be able to talk to you and get support from, uh, whether that's a family member or a close friend, someone that you trust. Um, Because I liken the heart very much to Pandora's box and from Pandora's box, everything comes out of that not just scary stuff but but love and and really amazing things too it's it's a uh, it's filled with uh treasures that are lovely and lecherous so you have to be ready for everything to come out um uncomfortable early childhood memories could come out 
um, things that you haven't forgiven yourself about when it comes to old relationships, things you haven't forgiven another about with old relationships. It could be anything, really. Any kind of hurt or pain or emotional trauma could come out, and it should come out because this is the time to purge and to release it. Why? It's because once it's let out and it's transmuted into some other form of energy in this universe, then those chains, those shackles have been broken, they've dissolved, they've disappeared from you to all the other parties that you're imagining in your mind having connections to or problematic connections to. It has all been dissolved. Now you've dropped the pain body as uh, Eckhart Tolle brings up the pain body in uh, the power of now, for instance, this is how I drop the pain body. And this is how I teach people to drop the pain body. Once you drop it, anything can happen. You can do anything. You can create anything you want because there's absolutely nothing holding you back. There's no fear. There's no pain. There's no remorse. There's no memories of yesterday of failure or anything like that. It's all dissolved. It's gone. Wow. Okay. So that just clarified because I said earlier that maybe during my own awakening experience, there was heart closure, but now it feels reframed of there was definitely a lot of heart opening because I was experiencing bliss and love and this super opening experience, but I would have these weird, uncomfortable childhood memories like appear and come up, but I didn't know how to deal with that at the time. And I think that I grabbed onto them and made meaning and stories out of them. And there's something really interesting about karma um, that I associate with the South node or K2 the tail of the dragon, that there's this function of the South node that it is like this tail of the dragon sweeping up karmic debris, things from the past, and they get swept up into the air. And that if we grab onto these things, we kind of renew the lease on them. And if we just let them go, they dissolve. And I feel like that's the, the trick or the game. So if you're in a transformative process and stuff is coming up, having that kind of finesse or accuracy to let go of things that need to be dissolved instead of grabbing onto them and making stories about them can be really powerful. Yep. This is the the point, the Rubicon, if you will, where you pass into the unknown. And all I can tell people is that the unknown is the most amazing thing you could ever pass your awareness into in life. It's where all the fun is. It's where all the resources are. It's where everything you could have ever wanted to happen in your life, that's where it's going on is in the unknown. The known would be the memories of yesterday, which are painful and awful, (laughs) that may have taught some lessons, sure. But do we want our lives, our entire lives, to be about learning lessons, or do we want to get to a point where we're actually enjoying life? And this was what I was confronted with, uh, especially this year. I said, okay. Something, something within me, the soul, whatever you want to call it, said, are you done yet? Do you want to keep learning lessons or do you want to drop that and just start enjoying life? Are you ready to enjoy life freely and openly? And I, I said, okay, yeah, yeah, I think I'm ready to do that. And then through a series of events, I think uh, some of the last little fears that I might have held on to even this year started to go away. And then within a week, I started to hear otherwise in life. Things that were the complete opposite of the things I was worrying about. 
uh, were happening, all the positive things were starting to come in because I was creating space for it at that point. There wasn't any space for it before. I love that. And that sounds like another octave of the Saturn moon, the Scorpio Leo, like the, are you ready? Are you ready to walk through this threshold Saturn of just joy and having fun and playing and all the, I mean, Saturn has us do some work and learn some lessons, but it doesn't have to always be that way too. Like there are points where we can just enjoy. And a lot of the spiritual teachings too, that I feel like circulate on the internet about manifestation and Abraham Hicks and all of that talk about how we're here to have fun and that a lot of what holds us back is actually staying in our stories and our memories and our ego identifications with things but that when we play with the unknown and think thoughts like today could be the best day ever or like what does the universe want to like bask me in like what blessings does the universe want to share today like those kind of open-ended optimistic ways of perceiving reality can actually bring us into a different relationship with our lives. And it's not from a place of memory. It's from that place of the unknown or the unmanifest. Exactly. And that totally reminds me of something you read early in the Tao when it says, I know we're not supposed to bring up, sorry, Lao but this has to be addressed at some level. Uh, Free from desire, you realize the mystery. Caught in desire, you only see the manifestation, which definitely rings true in my life. When I let go of the desires, you know, I want that. I don't have that. I want that. I want to get that. Dropping that concern and saying, I have that. Uh, Now I'm going to go work on something else. Then, then it allows that to actually come show up and reveal itself. You already have it. You're, at that point, you're operating in the unknown uh, prior to the illusion of linear time and space. And uh, in reality, transurfing, I think they call this the uh, alternative flow. That's really cool. That is one of those manifestation secrets, too. And it's like, it's tricky because you have to get out of your own contortions of psyche where you want something so badly that you're like gripping onto it and actually repelling the thing that you want because you're not like at a level of merging you're not actually merged with the thing you desire you're merged with the intensity of longing or not having or lack consciousness and so you continue to repel that thing that you desire and attract the not having and so letting go of the that feeling that it would be delusional or just fantasy to act as though you already have the thing you desire. Like there's a resistance I think that people have to dive into that space because it seems like wishful thinking or it's like, how can I live life delusionally? Like I have to be a realist, but if you're going to live that way, you can't really play with the unknown or the unmanifest because you can't see it yet. So it's not measurable, not tangible. Exactly. And Oftentimes, the the realists, they're not getting the joke that that you can uncover in life. And a little play on words I like to do is uh, step out of the real and come into the real. But it's the what we see in the world is the R-E-E-L. We're seeing the film and we're taking the film to be uh, authentic and genuine when really it's just a play of light before you. And the body's part of that. 
as well. So if you could take one step back from the perspective of the body and, and view it from witness consciousness, as Maharaj would call it, uh, then you can see how it's playing out. And even the spaces in between uh, the, the film slides are made of the same energy, the same consciousness, really. So you can see the, how, how can I put this, the, the duality to it all. It's uh, like the beating of the heart or the sponda, the, uh, the universal throb, as it's called the sponda. So the, the thump, 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 thump. It's uh, like the sine wave, up and down, up and down, up and down, any opposite to its opposite, back and forth, back and forth. Agassi versus Sampras, back and forth, over the court, over the court. This is just the way the mind sees it. So if you can pull back from the mind, you'll see that both sides uh, rely on each other to exist. And uh, and yeah, it's more it's more of a fun place to create from, in my perspective, definitely. Yeah, I would agree. So people can work with you in Bali in person, um, but do you do? You have some online content, and then do you see clients online as well? Yeah, I see clients online. Um, I have coaching on unlockallpower.com, and that site has a blog. I just started a blog, and that has the heart chakra information. Uh, that post I put up the other day. Some really great writing. Thanks. I recommend it to whoever's listening. Thanks. It was fun to write that one. And I hope, I hope it was informative enough for people to kind of uh, dig into that area and, and learn, learn how to do uh, self-massage on yourself. And uh, yeah, it's a practice you can carry on with you throughout your entire life to relieve uh, anything, anything stress-related going on in your body. Something to do on the airplane, you know. Very cool. Well, um, people can get in touch with you through your website. Um, what about Instagram, email? Yeah, Trevor Camplin on Instagram uh, is my handle. You can find me on there. Um, I'm starting to post some more photos on there right now. And uh, yeah, all my contact information is on the website. So you can find me there. Okay. And if you're in Bali, I'm doing a heart chakra yoga course here in Ubud. And that's a three hour course. So we're going to start out with analyzing the natal charts. We're going to get into some of the philosophy, get into the, the causal body, the microcosm, and then get into the supra causal body or the macrocosm of the, the expansive universe. And then we get into techniques of how to move the pain out of the body. And then that comes with an hour long yoga class mostly kundalini stuff i'm doing with this one like nice classical indian music with kundalini kriyas breath work and uh and then we finish with a healthy sattva ayurvedic dinner wow that sounds amazing so is that something is there a particular date for that or is this an ongoing um this is an ongoing thing right now i don't know how long i'll be doing it but uh yeah, you can get a hold of me through the website. And if anybody's coming to Bali, feel free to hit me up. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been really fun and dreamy, I would say, to talk to you. Thanks for having me.
for listening. I hope that you found some of these ideas helpful in your own process of connecting with your heart and opening the heart. In Bali, I had another experience of working with someone who he is a channel. And before he got into the channeling part of the session, he led me through a guided meditation and was having me breathe into my heart center. And as I was focusing on my breath, continuing to meditate on breathing into my heart, And I felt my heart expanding in that. When I think about the fixed signs of the Zodiac, for example, and working with Leo and Scorpio or working with Leo and Aquarius or working with Leo and Taurus, there's so many different ways and so many different avenues to open the heart. And if we're experiencing a major block there, you know, it's also, it's wonderful to even... I had the experience in Bali of meeting people that worked with the heart and people who could freely admit that they felt like they had some kind of block around the heart. And I've been there. I mean, I have Chiron and Leo in the fifth house. It's kind of like an energetic that I find myself working with on a daily basis. It's really liberating to find ways to engage the heart that clear some of the stuckness, some of the trauma, the disempowerment that we have around that. And so I'm curious, what do you do to open your heart? What do you do to liberate yourself from the shackles or kind of the walls around the heart? Perhaps share a screenshot of this episode on Instagram, on your story, tag me. You can tag Trevor Kemplin. I'll leave his contact in the show notes. Let us know what you think and let us know how you engage the heart chakra and what it's done for you on your spiritual path. Now I'll catch you guys in the coming weeks with some more interviews that happened in Bali. And I've got some great things lined up in October, some interviews. So I'm very excited about that. And I love you all. Take care and stay so blessed and magical and abundant in your heart 